It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 206, podcast that looks at news and views and culture from throughout the world, from a Christian perspective, open to all. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we try to do is we, we look at the impact that ideas have. And for a number of years, I've been thinking that there are ideas that have been generated in amongst our elites, particularly in academia, and that filters into media and the corporations and uh, government and education, and it has a really negative impact. So, for example, I would argue that the 1960s kind of free love sexual stuff that it eventually filtered down into the working class housing estates of, of, of Scotland, for example, and has wrecked absolute havoc. Well, we are going to look at some of these ideas that have caused havoc and, and that are causing havoc in the news today. But I want to begin with someone called Rob Henderson. Here he is. The whole white privilege idea is itself a kind of luxury belief because, I mean, first what's happening is that like the people who seem to be most strident and in favor of this white privilege idea are themselves white. Um, <laughs> And what they're doing is they're elevating their own status, right? Like if a white person at, you know, some fancy college or whatever in, in, in sort of a position of prominence says, you know, oh, I decry white privilege, is that white person losing status or gaining status, right? Like are they hurting themselves or are they actually elevating themselves even more uh, among their peer group around the people whose opinions they care about? Now, Rob Henderson was doing an interview on Trigonometry, which is a very fascinating uh, podcast. Um not Christian, but just incredibly fascinating. Uh, and it was entitled, How Elites Hurt the Poor with Terrible Ideas. So that is the theme for this podcast. What do these elite ideas do? Well, first of all, they destroy the environment. Here's an old song. I drove my tractor through your haystack last night. years since I've heard the Wurzels Combine Harvester. Well, why do we have that? Because of what is happening in the Netherlands. Now, I, I don't know if you're aware of this or if you've seen this, but the Netherlands is the second largest agricultural exporter in the world. It's the largest meat exporter in Europe. Its newly elected government set up a 55 to 60% emissions goal by 2030, 70% by 2035, and 80% by 2040. Now, as a result, they're shutting farms, farms which have been feeding the world for hundreds of years, basically because the government doesn't like the idea of nitrogen. Now, the Netherlands is going to have 
higher nitrogen emissions because precisely because of its farming. But this is where you've got the crazy idea that all countries have to be exactly equal. The same applies with Australia. Australia has enormous emissions per head because the population is relatively small and because it produces so much. But you need to look at things in a worldwide context. Nations are not equal, neither are their emissions. The United Nations, which is, I think, increasingly mad, has said that the Netherlands and Australia have higher than average permissions per capita, when they should be looking at how many people are they feeding because of those. So what's going to happen? The Dutch government has marked one-third of all livestock for slaughter. To compensate for the shortfall of protein, they voted the idea that the missing third of the meat market could be replaced with synthetic meat. This won't be done by local farmers. This will be done by the multinational billion-dollar chemical companies who are going to cash in on this food market. And you'll notice a pattern here, a pattern with COVID, a pattern with climate change, a pattern with agriculture. It's the big corporates who fund these political campaigns who will benefit most from them. And so on the streets of the Netherlands, on the roads, the farmers have been burning hay bales, they've been uh, blocking roads, and actually tens of thousands of citizens are standing with them. The unions have joined as well. Now the press, the press who've all, uh, many of them have gone to the kind of, as I say, the elite universities and they're fed the same ideas, are attempting to demonize the farmers. But they still remain incredibly popular. Mark Ruta says that um, as he watches 40,000 farmers with all their tractors and combine harvesters blocking things, says freedom of speech is a vital part of a democratic society, but it is not acceptable to create dangerous situations. It is not acceptable to intimidate officials. We will never accept that. That, of course, is what the Canadians said. We respect your right to protest unless we don't like what you're protesting about. I think in the... Uh, an article I read on The Spectator, and which I'll put a link to, they call this climate fascism. Well, the same thing will happen in other countries, including Australia. The poor will suffer famine and incredibly high prices for food are going to come about because of this imbalanced and uh, ridiculous ideology. Now, here in Australia, well, let me play you this. Raging seas lashed by high winds pound the New South Wales coast as near cyclone conditions bring to Sydney the worst floods in living memory. With up to 12 inches of rain in a day in some suburbs, rivers burst their banks, sweeping through the streets in uncontrollable fury. Hundreds of homes are flooded, thousands of people forced to flee. Damage is already estimated at five million pounds. Neighbours peer into flooded houses seeking friends. Yes, we're having floods. Uh, and yes, you're right. You may have noticed that doesn't sound like a report from today. Now, a report from today would go on about how this has all been caused by climate change. But those floods, which were as bad as, if not worse, than what we've got today, were from when? 1956. Was climate change responsible for them then? And is climate change responsible for them now? There is a possibility that man-made climate change has some impact, but it's far too simplistic, but simplistic ideas suit politicians and people with money. It's far too simplistic just to say, oh, well, 
everything. We must blame everything on climate change. All right, well, destroying the environment. What about destroying democracy? Here's what's going on in the United Kingdom. And in the last few days, I've tried to persuade my colleagues that it would be eccentric to change governments when we're delivering so much and when we have such a vast mandate and when we're actually only a handful of points behind in the polls, even in midterm after quite a few months of pretty relentless sledging and when the economic scene is so difficult domestically and internationally. And I regret uh, not to have been successful in those arguments. And of course, it's painful not to be able to see through so many ideas and, and projects myself. But as we've seen uh, at Westminster, uh, the herd instinct is powerful. When the herd moves, it moves. And my friends, in politics, no one is remotely indispensable. And our brilliant and Darwinian system will produce another leader equally committed to taking this country forward through tough times, not just helping families. The story for those of you who are overseas is that um, most of the Conservative Party seem to have had enough of their Prime Minister who in effect lied again uh, about uh, one of his advisors called Pincher who he denied had known he'd been uh, charged with sexual abuse or uh, assault rather. he denied he knew anything about it, which was clearly not the truth. He admitted that was a mistake, but it's been too much and he'll probably be gone. Incidentally, in Scotland, uh, there was an MP called Grady who was charged with the same thing. And the SNP were remarkably quiet about that. But nonetheless, it looks as though Boris Johnson will go. Now, what does this have to do with this ideas, these ideas? Whatever you think of Boris Johnson, I think he has a certain sense of entitlement and a kind of narcissism. Um, He, on the one hand, will talk about going all green and he will enforce things upon poorer people. But, for example, he will take private planes or even government jets for very short distances. Uh, One recently, he took an official jet home from a weekend with his family in Cornwall. If you know the geography of the United Kingdom, it's not a massive distance. He flew from London, where the COP26 climate change summit was on, by private jet to go to dinner at a men-only private club. He took a private jet to Blackpool in February. It's only a three-hour journey to Blackpool, but he took a private jet. Last week, Johnson and the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau were heard comparing the size of their private planes. uh, Johnson said, I saw Canada Force One, it's a big plane. Trudeau said, it's not quite as big as yours. No, no, no. Ours is very, very modest, Johnson insisted. I'm sorry, but it, it that just all makes me feel really ill. And why I say it's anti-democratic is Johnson is carrying on saying, the British people elected me, uh, basically saying to his MPs, not you. But they did elect them. We have a parliamentary system. We don't have a presidential system. But... I think there are people who get this idea in their head that somehow they have a divine right to rule. I think the ideas that are predominating amongst our elite elite destroy economies. So, for example, when we had COVID, let's just print money. Well, now we're paying the price because printing money causes inflation. But short-term politicians thinking about immediate opinion polls 
tend not to think longer term. Now, here in Australia, there's something called negative gearing. Uh, as a man, he was the former Greek foreign minister, uh, Greek economics minister, Yanis Varoufakis, who I really, really like. I mean, he's left-wing, I don't agree with all his ideas, but he, he's always stimulating and interesting. Well, here he is talking about this. The real time bomb in the foundations of the Australian economy is um, private debt. Uh, legislation which uh, is bordering on the criminally insane with negative gearing, for instance. I mean, you know, try to explain negative gearing to anybody who's, who doesn't come from Australia. They, they, they say, what? <laughs> You're subsidizing uh, economic rent? How crazy is that? I mean, uh, what economic doctrine yeah. supports that? None. You, you know, you can, there, there are no left-wing, right-wing, centrist economists in the world who would think that negative gearing is anything other than madness. Now, what is negative gearing? Negative gearing means simply borrowing to invest. So when you take an investment loan, your property is geared. Negative gearing happens when the cost of owning a rental property exceeds the rent returns you earn. So basically, you're losing money, but you can write that off against tax. What this has done here is help push property prices to an insane level. I, I cannot, well, I could tell you just how much to buy just a simple house. You're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Australian dollars. And it's these kind of economic measures where people are not thinking properly that create all kinds of problems. And, and you know, we're going to have more. And again, you see, the trouble is it's the wealthy who themselves are protected from the consequences of their own policies, which create the trouble. All right, let's come on to this next one. Let's see if you can work it out from this song. Talk in everlasting words and dedicate them all to me. And I will give you all my life. I'm here if you should call to me You think that I don't even mean A single word I say It's only words And words are all I have To take your heart away That was Words by the Bee Gees. The ideas of the elites are destroying the language. Um, it's only words, and words are all I have. But words are so important, and language is being destroyed. So here, here every week we give you examples, but here's one. There's a war in Scrabble because the North American Scrabble Players Association, and why is it always the Americans? The American elites are the worst of the lot have uh, decided and they've basically ordered that uh, over a, th I can't remember how many words are going to be banned from Scrabble. Uh, words which apparently are offensive. So the word Jesuit. Now, if you play Scrabble, you will know, my mum, by the way, is brilliant at Scrabble. If you play Scrabble, you will know that Jesuit's a great word to have. Jesuistic could get you 200 points in one go. Now, a Jesuit is a member of the Order of the Priests, founded by Ignatius Loyola in 1534. 
Why is this offensive? I mean, a Protestant like me might want to say, you're a Jesuit. Uh, I, we might mean it offensively. I wouldn't do that. But why? Why is that offensive? Meanwhile, Methodist and Pharisee, were, which were both can be used offensively, are not banned. <laughs> and this destruction of language is occurring at all levels because these elites... It's kind of the trickle-down theory. They control academia, they control media, and they control, they're kind of like the heads of civic institutions and organizations. Now, some people call it cultural Marxism. I just call it cultural vandalism. Take, for example, the Scouts. They've issued a new woke-style guide banning children from using the terms falling on deaf ears, man-made, and dinner ladies. They're also to be prohibited from using maiden name and Christian name and uh, because to avoid giving offence. Also included, school meal supervisors or school dinner assistants instead of dinner ladies. Uh, the scouts will now play broken telephone instead of Chinese whispers. They're not allowed to say down under to refer to here, Australia or New Zealand. And meanwhile... The scouts where, when I belonged to the scouts, you could get, you know, like badges in sewing or table tennis or football or fishing. Uh, now you can get a trans fun badge or a bisexual fun badge or a gay fun badge, a lesbian fun badge. And that's for children as young as four. They're destroying words and they're destroying free speech. I'll give you just one example. Julie Carrie Wong. A Harvard-educated, well, there's a surprise, reporter based in San Francisco, California, was tweeting, she's a Guardian reporter, and again, there's a surprise, saying that, well, I'll tell you what she says, this is what she tweeted, I think that we're entering a period when the most meaningful political distinction will be fascist and anti-fascist. It's really important to understand that transphobia is the one of the most potent entry points to fascism today and act accordingly. You see, anyone who disagrees with these ideas will be labelled a fascist and cancelled. These ideas also destroy human babies. Now, I'm talking here, of course, about abortion. There's a woman called Lois McClatchy um, who appeared, uh, it's wonderful, uh, we've featured the work of her fiancé now, Callum Miller, on abortion. Well, she appeared on television uh, arguing against the attempt to ban prayer vigils or protests outside abortion clinics. And, you know, people will disagree with that. And yet, here's what happened in the House of Parliament. The SNP MP Alison Thewlis went to the House of Commons, called her extremist and asked for her to be banned from the BBC. The MP referred to a slanderous and unjustified claim from the Southern Poverty Law Centre. Um, now, it's not true, they're calling them a hate organisation. But you see, again, here we have the elites trying to shut people up, people who want to protect human babies, not kill them. All right, uh, we do national anthems occasionally. I'm pretty sure we haven't done this one. I'm sure many of our listeners will be able to join in. Stand. Oh, say can you see? 
America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Well, President Biden this week for the 4th of July said this, America is an idea, an idea that is stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope to the most desperate people on earth. It guarantees that everyone is treated with dignity and gives hate no safe harbor. It instills in every person in this country the belief that no matter where you start in life, there's nothing you can't achieve if you work at it. That is complete and utter rubbish in many, many different ways. Um, President Biden, I, funny, I've just been reading uh, the early history of America. He doesn't know his own country's history. The hubris and the arrogance in that, as well as the, the ridiculous idea that you can do anything that you want if you work hard at it, is incredible. And the idea of not harboring hate, I'm sorry, but one of the things that is happening because of the elites in America, because of the Harvard, Yale and uh, Berkeley and, and other groups and what they're being taught, they are destroying your wonderful country through their hate. And they really do hate. And of course, the answer to that hate is not to have kind of right-wing hate or whatever. That does enormous harm as well. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. But just, I thought Biden's statement was just spectacularly misguided at best. What else do they do? They destroy human sexuality and gender. It's Pride Month, you know that. Uh, Pride Year, Pride whatever. Um, Someone sent me this. The Highlands and Islands Police Division in Scotland are going to host an online recruitment event specifically for the LGBT plus community. LGBT plus community. Would the police hold an event for, I don't know, the Christian community? Would they hold an event for other communities? Why focus on this one particular group? Why not just appoint people according? Who cares whether your policeman's gay? Well, apparently the police do. LNER, the train company. An announcer said, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. A non-binary person complained. Um, the LNER responded in public, Really sorry to hear this, Lawrence. Our train manager should not be using like lang language like this. We strive to be inclusive at LNER. Except, of course, inclusive of people who are, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And all this is leading where? The destruction of our youth. Listen to this. Hi, my name is Cameron and I'm a member of our DID system. So Avery and I are both birds. I am a cardinal and Avery is a blue jay. We like AM air pronouns in particular because they feel even further removed from gender than they than theirs and being birds while we do have um our own gender expression we don't inherently have a gender at all and not in the way that like we're just non-binary it's that like our species as like an avian human hybrid does not inherently have any kind of gender at all so you use them just like singular pronouns like he him or she her uh, spelling and pronunciation-wise, it's like they, them, theirs without the TH at the beginning. So the best way I think to practice is to write out um, a couple of short sentences using like he, him, his, and himself, 
and then go back through and erase all of those pronouns and fill them in with am air air self. Such confusion, such a mess. But there are responses. Listen to our old friend Jordan Peterson. Pride month, not hour or day or week, but month, and to have literally called it Pride Month instead of LGBT plus month or whatever else alphabet acronym which is currently insisted upon as the only acceptable enlightened terminology. I don't regard pride as a virtue. It has been classically regarded as a sin. I don't see that sexual orientation or sexual desire of any sort is something to celebrate or to take pride in. And so what I said was merely a fact. Now, it's possible that I hurt someone's feelings because I pointed out that pride goes before, for example, a fall. But I don't care about that. Would do it again. And also consider it my duty to warn those who are about to fall into a pit that the path they are on leads suddenly downhill. Now, he said this after he was thrown off Twitter for misgendering and he refused to apologise. Well, good for him, because he's right. Pride does become before a fall. Steve Chalk this week tweeted in Pride Month. Steve Chalk is a supposedly Baptist minister who apologised for the sins of other churches. Not his, of course, because he's a Pharisee, self-righteous, and he wouldn't do this. Not like other people. Well, pride comes before a fall. And that's coming here in Australia as well. In Queensland, we've just found out that you, the government wants you to be able to change your gender every 12 months, and it's going to drop terms like mother and father from birth certificates. But there is good news. Uh, Maya Forstatter, who we've mentioned here before, uh, has won her case when she lost her job because she said that uh, biological men cannot become women. And a judge ruled, uh, finally, that uh, they could not fire her for that. It was discrimination related to her gender-critical beliefs. Now, the Centre of Global Development, who are her employers, Amanda Glassman, said this, Our primary aim has always been to uphold our values and maintain a workplace and an environment that's welcoming, safe and inclusive inclusive to all, including trans people. And she said that whilst at the same time having sacked somebody for having a different viewpoint, thinking that men cannot become women. That's not inclusive. That's exclusive. Okay, um, time is gone, but this is such an important subject. I I want to uh, continue this. Here's uh, an American complaining about the church because these ideas are determined to destroy the biblical church. These comments might be strong, but it's how I genuinely feel. Um, I don't care that you're a Christian. I don't care what the Bible says. Like, I feel like it's a clown show, like sitting here trying to decipher what your little mythical book has to say about these very real political issues, right? I don't care if you're Christian. In fact, I will fight for you to have your religious liberty and practice your Christianity. I believe in that. 
I don't believe in Christianity, which means that you do not get to dictate the way I live my life based on your religion. I don't care what the Bible says. You have every right in the world, all those women who identify with your religion have every right in the world to not get an abortion, to not take birth control. But they do not have the right to dictate my life and what I decide to do with my body. I don't care about your goddamn religion. I'm so tired of having nonstop conversations about what the the Bible says you live your life in the way that you interpret the Bible. Again, I don't care, but you don't get to take the Bible and tell me, well, the Bible says this in this chapter and this verse. I don't care. I don't care. I don't believe in it. And I have the right, based on our Constitution, to not believe in it. Now, you see what she says. I don't care if you're a Christian, keep your religion. You have every right in the world, etc., etc. But just don't let your beliefs impact our lives. Well, why not? Why not? Why should her beliefs be the only ones that are put into practice in social policy? You see, I think it's wrong to have a slave. If she responds, you have every right in the world to not have a slave, but don't you impose your beliefs upon me. I think it's wrong to abuse children. Do you get the point? We all have values and systems. The trouble is that these people are so ideologically fixated that they think they have the right to impose their values upon everyone else in the whole wide world. That's why you get someone like, well, I'm going to say destroying the church. Sam Brinton, who is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy in the Department of Energy, some of my American friends will know this this man. Um, I think he doesn't like to be called a man. Uh, he identifies as non-binary. Um, in his spare time, he's Sister Radioactive in the Order of Perpetual Indulgence, a group of drag queens who dress as nuns to raise awareness of transphobia and sexual intolerance. Incidentally, he also engages in pup play and gives lectures on the physics of kink and so on. His parents are... Southern Baptist missionaries who live in Iowa, and I feel so sorry for them to have to witness this in their own child. It's destroying the church. The Methodist church are boasting right now that the first chapel set up by John Wesley now hosts same-sex marriages. They're destroying the church. A journalist in Australia, Lana Murphy of Channel 9, held up a sign during a protest that she was reporting on which said Mary the Virgin should have had an abortion. They're attacking and destroying the church. Now, let's not leave it there. Because the point about all of these, these luxury ideas, these are the ideas that the wealthy and the powerful can afford to have because they are inoculated against them. They're theories, they're games for them. They impact the rest of us far more deeply. But how do we combat them? We could combat them by just, I don't know, mocking them. We could combat them just by saying what they are. Or we could combat them by good ideas, by telling the truth. And I'm saying this in terms of Christianity. So how does Christianity impact all these ideas? Just bear with me. The environment. We are stewards of the earth. Democracy is based upon the dignity of all human beings. That comes from Christianity. The economy, things like honesty and, and fairness and social justice. Language, words have meaning and they're really important. Look in the Bible at how many times how we speak is, is spoken of. Free speech, <clears throat> the right to think things through, not to have 
um, not have religions imposed upon us or indeed religious views like I think the the green ideology is a religious thing. I think the trans thing is effectively a religious thing. The weak and, and the babies, the unborn, we've always argued that they should be defended. America even, it was founded by Christians basically on Christian principles. What about um, sexuality and, and gender? Well, the, the Bible has a very whole view of that, which is so important. And we've mentioned many, many times and the church. Hey, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So enough, longer than usual. Next week, we'll cut it down. But it was such an important thing to talk about these ideas. And it gives background to, to what we're trying to do. I'm going to leave you with this wonderful song from Casting Crowns. Praise you in this storm. Join us next week. Any comments, pass them on. If you'd like to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. But meanwhile, just remember that in this storm, there is one who is on the throne and he is good and he is powerful and he is love. God bless you. See you next week. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen. And it's still raining But as the thunder rolls I barely hear you whisper through the rain I'm with you And as your mercy falls I'll raise my hands And praise the God who gives And takes away
comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 